So why are we spending uh, the fall semester going through the book of Daniel? Uh, as we've been saying the last couple weeks, even if you haven't been here, uh, you haven't missed that much. Um, but this book is more than simply stories about uh, lion's dens and uh, stories and pictures of the end of the world according to the Bible. It's ultimately uh, about how God is the king of all things and that his kingdom alone endures forever. And here in chapter 3, we, we learn several things about what it means to worship this king whose kingdom endures forever. And I want to acknowledge that perhaps you, you're tuning in and you may not consider yourself a Christian, and maybe you wouldn't even consider yourself a religious person. And I want to ask you uh, to hang in there with me uh, tonight, or this morning, uh, because, we, because worship is really something that all of us do. It's not just a Christian uh, thing. Uh, and who we worship uh, plays a very formative role in who we become and who we are. And from this story, we'll explore three things about worship. What it is, what it does, uh, and why we do it. What it is, uh, what it does, and why we do it. And this is a long text, so um, you, you feel free to r- remain seated. Um, but put yourself in a sort of posture of, of listening, uh, if you're able, um, just to, to listen to hear what God has to say to us uh, through his word. This week's central text is from Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, 
and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire was, had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of God. So now to our first point, uh, what worship is. In Daniel 3, the word worship appears uh, about 11 times. Uh, so what is it? What is worship? Um, worship has old English uh, roots, uh, worth shape, um, and it means to declare or acknowledge the worth of someone or something. Uh, so when we worship someone or something, we're essentially saying that object is worthy of our love, our attention, our devotion. Uh, for many of you, uh, Sundays uh, are a hard day. You know, maybe it's the, the one day of the weekend that you, can, you could sleep in. Um, but by choosing to worship with other people, uh, even if it's online, you're saying that uh, Jesus and worshiping him, loving him is worth the effort. It's worth the time. Um, say, so saying God is worthy um, of our time, even if it's hard, that's what worship is. And one of the unifying themes of the Bible is that it's a story about God uh, and how he alone is worthy of our worship. And the failure, the ensuing failure of God's people to worship him and acknowledge his ultimate worth. So that's sort of the, the Bible, if you wanted to boil it down um, very simply, that it's the failure of God's people to acknowledge how great and how wonderful this God is. And in Daniel, God's people have yet again uh, turned from God to love other things more than him. And, and just as God had promised his people, um, they were taken into captivity in uh, ancient Babylon, all because of their misplaced worship. So the Bible, again, is a story about how God is worthy and he alone is worthy of our worship. 
we, uh, God's people tip, tend uh, and are, um, have a proclivity, can't speak, uh, to, uh, to not give God his due, and yet God uh, judges them for it and then rescues them uh, from that. And it's this cycle uh, over and again. And Daniel is set in this uh, ca- captivity in Babylon around the 6th century B.C., and in that day, it was a very common uh, thing for ancient uh, cultures to, uh, what those that have, they have conquered, to assimilate the sort of professional cl- classes, uh, the most gifted people, the leaders, the government leaders, the military leaders, the artisans, um, and to assimilate them into Babylonian culture in order to subjugate them. Okay, so they, they would be deported, they would take those people out of Jerusalem, out of their land, and assimilate them into Babylonian culture, including uh, their worship practices and their religion. Okay, so that's what Daniel, that setting is where Daniel and his three friends uh, that we'll hear about shortly, or that you just heard about read, um, that's where they are. They're in that setting, in the setting of sort of conformity and in a, in a, an attempt to assimilate them um, and we, we heard that if, if they did not conform, if they did not uh, bow, they would burn. And so he sets up, the king sets up this huge statue, uh, some 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. Um, he's a very subtle guy uh, setting up a, a statue like that. And he sets it up near the city of Babylon, and he says, if you don't bow to it, um, I'll throw you into the furnace. And biblical scholars are not really sure uh, whether this representation, the statue was a representation of King Nebuchadnezzar or perhaps one of the gods of the day. But what's more, more important to recognize uh, is that this represented the power of King Nebuchadnezzar, that he had the means uh, to build uh, a, a tower, or sorry, a statue this large um, showed his, his, um, his wealth, his prestige, and then the fact that he uh, could command everyone to bow to the statue or face certain death. That was a, sort of a, an admission of his belief that he was sort of godlike, right? And everyone, the leaders, uh, the artisans, uh, you know, the children, the families, the average Joes, everyone bowed uh, to this golden statue. Except, everyone except these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood out in Babylon for not bowing the knee to anyone but the true God. And they refused to conform. They refused to conform to the nation's uh, patterns of worship. And I want to just acknowledge that, you know, it, it's pretty easy for us as late moderners to kind of distance ourselves from a story like this, because when you're driving down I-26, uh, you don't see a 90 feet tall uh, statue uh, where people, thousands of people are bowing down. We don't see those things anymore. You know, in, in our uh, most recent census, uh, more people than ever before in our country checked the box, no religious affiliation. And so maybe you're saying, you know, this doesn't really apply uh, to me or really to our, our day. Um, but 
I think that just because we check the box none more than ever, it does not mean that we're uh, less religious um, and even that we don't worship idols today. You know, worship, of course, may be more subtle, uh, maybe more camouflaged than it was back then, but it's definitely not gone away uh, some 2,600 years later. Uh, the reality is uh, that every person, every person in this world worships. And everybody, it's because everybody finds ultimate meaning and satisfaction somewhere or in something. Um, in a now uh, pretty famous uh, commencement address uh, given by the late author David Foster Wallace, uh, he said some interesting things uh, about worship uh, to this graduating class at a, at a very liberal institution. And uh, so listen in to what this atheist author says about worship uh, just, a, just a few years ago. He says this, In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. So you see, everybody worships. Everybody declares that a person, a place, a thing, an idea, a platform is worthy of our devotion, our attention, our ultimate affection. So the question for all of us is not if you're worshiping, but who or what are you worshiping? And there, I just want to admit this too, that there are plenty of Christians, including uh, this pastor, who profess faith in Christ, but who are also tempted to be ensconced and uh, to find too much meaning uh, and worth in places other than God himself. And it could be family. It could be politics. It could be food and drink. It could be any number of ideas and, and things. So I need help here too. Uh, but there's hope for those of us who are caught in sort of this web of competing loyalties uh, and those who wish and desire uh, to love God above all things. There's hope for us. But any hope for a cure, any hope for, for uh, yeah, a rooting out of this sort of desire to, to serve other things besides God, any hope for a cure always begins with an accurate diagnosis. And we discover where our devotion really lies when we think about um, what worship does to us, what it does. And that's my second point, what worship does. Uh, so when I lived in Boston, um, I dressed a lot differently. Uh, there were a lot, I looked in my closet the other day, we just moved about six months ago, and uh, I looked in my closet and I, I still see a lot of uh, black, uh, a lot of gray and muted colors that, um, you know, that was sort of the urban culture, you know, and I think it probably just fit the, you know, really dreary, dark, long, cold winters of Boston. Um, but when we, when we moved here six months ago, I looked around and I saw a lot of, a lot of color and uh, I saw a lot of people who seemed like at a drop of a hat, they could go hiking. You know, and, uh, but why? You know, why, why are there uh, so, why do we dress like that? 
Why do we dress the way we do? We, we dress like we could go hiking at any minute because we love to hike. Because look around. This place is amazing. And it affects what we wear. It affects what we buy because we love it. And, and so, you know, that, that's kind of a harmless example, right? Um, but it speaks uh, to a very important idea biblically. Um, what we love shapes us into certain kinds of people. And, and listen to this, this psalm, this one verse from Psalm 115. says this, Those who make idols become like them. So do all who trust in them. The psalmist says, we become like what we love. And this is what we see in Daniel 3. Notice what happens in verses 2 through 7. Those in power, they bowed down to the, to the image too. Those in power were worshiping the idol not because they loved the idol so much as they loved their station, their place in society, their influence. It has ultimate worth. This power, this influence, this authority has ultimate worth, and that's why I'll bow. That's why I'll conform. And we see everyone else falling in. Not, they didn't bow the knee to, to the image because they loved the idol. They loved the image. They, they bowed the knee because they valued their safety, their personal well-being more than anything else. And so they conformed. By the way, it's, it's not wrong to pursue uh, influence or safety, of course. Um, but it is wrong. What is wrong is making our desires more important than God. And that's what's at issue. So in Babylon, most, most everyone, uh, the king and all his subjects, were slipping into this unconscious worship of power, of approval, of safety. But look, we would be wrong uh, to start uh, casting stones or to take the moral high ground um, as a society or even as Christians because, look, assimilation happens in our pluralistic society too. Day after day, in innumerable ways, we are handed a script that says, keep your faith to yourself. Are we not? Keep it at home. Keep it private, but don't bring it out in public. Keep it to yourself. The you-do-you narrative, have you heard of that? You-do-you? The mentality of every person doing what's best for them is ubiquitous, pervasive. And we hear this, this music of the age that I am the most important person in the universe and we just bob along. We just bob along to the song. Um, so I have two little girls who love Frozen 2. And they love Frozen 1. I personally think Frozen 1 is, a, is superior, but that's neither here nor there. But there's a song in Frozen 2 that one of the main characters, uh, Elsa, sings that sort of sounds like a worship song. Um, and that's kind of why it caught my ear, because I, I, you know, I sing and I love music. Uh, worship music. Uh, and this song in Frozen 2 is called Show Yourself. Show Yourself. Um, where the siren call is kind of beckoning Elsa um, to sort of discover her calling and who she really is. 
and what she should be. Uh, so listen, I just want to uh, read a few words to you. I won't sing it, and Dina Mazel uh, sings it, and I certainly could never hit the, those notes, so I'm not going to even try. I'm just going to read them uh, to you. It says, Every inch of me is trembling, but not from the cold. Something is familiar, like a dream I can reach, but not quite hold. I can sense you there, like a friend I've always known. I'm arriving, and it feels like I am home. Show yourself. I'm no longer trembling. Here I am. I've come so far. You are the answer I've waited for all of my life. Oh, show yourself. Let me see who you are. And this is the end. Show yourself. Step into the power. Grow yourself into something new. You are the one you've been waiting for. All of my life. All of your life. Oh, show yourself. She was the one she was looking for all of her life. So, by the way, this isn't a knock on Frozen 2 necessarily. But let's just call a spade a spade, right? This is, we see just, what, just like what was happening in ancient Babylon. Everyone in our cities and churches and even in our homes slip into this sort of unconscious and basically unquestioned worship of the almighty self. And by the way, it's really tempting to conform to the status quo of just following your heart instead of following Jesus and listening to what he has to say, knowing that he, the king of all things, actually knows better than I do and than, than we do. And these three men would be thrown into the fiery furnace if they didn't conform and worship the image. And, you know, perhaps we may be burned by coworkers or, or family members if we uh, seek to, to love Jesus most of all. So what should we do? What should we do? Why should we persist in worshiping God despite the pressures that we may face today? And that's my final point. Why we worship. So this becomes apparent in the exchange between Nebuchadnezzar and the three friends. And after they're accused of not bowing uh, to the image, they're brought to the king for questioning. And Nebuchadnezzar gives them one last chance uh, to bow or burn. And at the end of verse 15, if you want to read along, Nebuchadnezzar asks, Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And here's their reply. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, um, my face uh, shows a lot of anger and frustration when my idol of comfort is threatened. 
And God has used my daughters uh, to put his finger on misplaced worship in my heart. That I put comfort too high on the throne of my heart for too long. And he's used these two precious little girls who tend to do things uh, at their speed uh, and and their uh, kind of language and way and not my way a lot. So what makes you angry uh, is usually uh, a symptom of something that's taking place beneath the surface. What's frustrating you to no end right now? What ticks you off is usually a sign, is usually a, a fruit of something deeply rooted in your heart. Is someone lately threatening your, your autonomy in a way? Um, that you worked so stinking hard for. And they you know, keep asking you for things, asking for your time, asking for your energy, maybe even asking for resources. And, and you have worked so hard to, to be free of inconvenience and be free from this pest. And maybe it's frustrating you to no end. But could it be that your autonomy is too important to you? Could it be? God wants to get to the source of that anger and pull those idols out of the embrace of our heart. And we see Nebuchadnezzar's power worship when they disobey him. He's furious. However, the three godly men didn't shift based on circumstances not going their way. They loved God even if he didn't give them what they wanted. Sit with that. They loved God even if they didn't give them what they wanted. They loved God for his sake, not just for what he he can do for them. How countercultural is that? You know, how how easy is, is it for us to edit people out of our story that don't Tell us what we like to hear. But that's not what God is like. And that's not what these men uh, were like in the face of a fiery furnace. They believed that God was perfectly able to deliver them if he chose. But even if not, they wouldn't bow. And into the fiery furnace, they were thrown. Uh, I have a friend here at Grace, a member uh, who's a, f- a member of the, the fire department in Asheville. His name is Matt, Matt Balance. And I just had some questions for him as I was preparing for this sermon. Uh, and I was thinking uh, about, uh, you know, just tell me like a little bit about how hot it gets in a room that's completely engulfed in flames. And he said, a room that's entirely engulfed in flames is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1600 degrees Fahrenheit. And I, I kind of stepped in and I was like, okay, so what happens to a human body in temperatures like that? And he said, they are completely incinerated. Instantaneously incinerated in temperatures like that. So the furnace similarly was so hot that when the servants threw the three friends into the, into the furnace, they, they died. 
They got too close and they instantly died. So it looked like for these three friends that nonconformity would mean certain death for them. But look what God does. And no one, especially these three friends, and definitely not Nebuchadnezzar, expected this. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So God did two miraculous things here, right? Uh, the first, of course, is that the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were completely unharmed, uh, didn't smell like smoke at all, not a singed hair on them. And the second miracle is that there was another in the fire whose appearance was like the sun a son of the gods, Nebuchadnezzar said. So it turns out that God didn't save them from the fire. He saved them through the fire. And I want to just ask, you know, many of you are going through fiery trials, as it were. And how might this story encourage you today? God is with you in this trial. He has not left. He is with you in it. You know, uh, scholars aren't actually entirely sure who this person, this fourth person in the fire was. Um, verse 28, it sounds like, you know, most likely it could have been an angel of some sort. But the point is that God had delivered them. But you might be saying to yourself, look, that's a really neat story, um, but what about me? What about me? What about what I'm going through? How does this story connect to my own story? The angel, the one like the son of God, was a prefiguring of Jesus Christ himself. As the angel represents God's presence with these three men, so Jesus represents God's presence with his people forever. You know, one of the names given for Jesus in Isaiah is Emmanuel, God with us. And as the angel saved uh, the three burning friends uh, from the, this, this blaze of fire, so Jesus saves God's people from the burning uh, fires of hell forever. Furthermore, although the angel saved these three friends from death, they would still die at a later time. But Jesus saves God's people from death. Uh, and they will never, he promises, they will never die again. And although the, the angel joined the friends in the furnace, he did not give his life to save them. But Jesus joins humanity in his incarnation and on the cross, he gave his life to save his people from their sins forever. So this God of love doesn't just shout down instructions to us as we endure the, the fiery trials of this life. Like a fireman, he enters into the flames and saves us through them. 
and saves you through them. So why did they and why should we in turn worship God? Even if it's costly. Because the most motivating and transformative power in all the universe is not fear. It's not coercion. It's not shame. It's love. It's love. False gods and their worshipers coerce they say conform or die. They ensue fear to subjugate. But the true God, he's not like that. What does he do with his power? He lays it down. He lays himself down to love us, to deliver us, to free us, to save us, to rescue us. And I want to ask you a question, a simple one. Do you know that kind of love? Do you know that kind of God? That kind of love, that kind of God, it's only found in Jesus. And all you have to do, all you have to do to experience that kind of love and deliverance is say you need it. You don't have to work yourself up. You don't have to impress him. He's the impressive one. And you just need to say that and admit that. That he's much more impressive than anyone else in human history. And receive his love forever. And I want to just give you two, or really three, very quick ways to apply this to your life. Promise. Very quick. First, know your story. Know your story. You know, these three men, they knew the story of Israel up into the exile, right? Up until their place in history, in redemptive history, they knew that story. They knew what God was like. But we, we have the advantage of knowing the full story and that the person of Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again and he ascended and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he sent his spirit by the way, in Acts 2, that come as flames of fire to dwell in us, to, to change us, to refine us with his love. We should know our story and that that Jesus is going to return someday. And in the meantime, we are his church. And so as the church in book discussions, Bible studies, worship services, you name it, we're, we're here to remind ourselves and to know this story, to know your story so that we can have confidence in any trial. So know your story. Secondly, warm up with Jesus. Many of you have heard, look, I, I, my, my love for Jesus is cold. It's cold right now. And if you're feeling cold today, by the way, you're not strange. Sometimes that happens. But let him warm you in the fires of his love. Let him warm your heart. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said that he's not interested in his, in his followers being lukewarm. He's not interested in that. He wants to warm you up, so don't settle for lukewarm love for him or for others. Let him warm you up and let, him, let his Holy Spirit pour the love of God into your hearts. So warm up with Jesus. Know your story. And lastly, worship the King 
together. Corporate worship, declaring the worth, acknowledging the worth of God, it is, it is vertical. We, we do sing to him, we do pray, we do declare that together. But in another way, in this space, right, online or in person, we are also encouraging one another to worship the king. When you see other people worshiping this king, it, it might inflame your heart to do the same and encourage your heart. So know your story, warm up with Jesus, and worship the king together. One author said this, uh, and I'll close with this. He said, we become like what we worship either for ruin or for restoration. We become like what we worship, either for ruin or for restoration. So, who are you going to worship? The one who restores you with his love or someone else which only leads to ruin? And I invite you and I encourage you and I hope and pray that you will choose Jesus and embrace his refining, his restoring and eternal love the rest of your days and for the rest of eternity. Let's pray together. Father, get through to your people. Even through a weak person like me, get through to your people with your love today. There is no other love like yours. There is no other kingdom like yours. There is no other king like you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for saving. Thank you for rising. Thank you for ascending and for sitting down as the king ruling and reigning over our lives, over this church, over this pandemic. You are the King, Lord. And for so long, many of us have been pretending to worship you, have been faking it, Lord. And our hearts are really being pulled and tugged towards other gods, lesser gods, counterfeit gods. And Lord, today I just pray that that describes someone watching this, Lord, that they would turn to you for grace. Lord, you always extend grace to those who ask. There is now and forever no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, you predestined us to be conformed into the image of your Son, so, Lord, we don't want to conform to the patterns of this world anymore. We want to be conformed into the image of your Son. And so come, Jesus, by your Spirit, even through the Internet. Come and do a, a mighty work in our hearts, in mine, in all of our hearts, Lord, today. We pray in Christ's name and no other. Amen.